Today on the Mind Maladies podcast is Dr. David Smith, a psychiatrist and psychopharmacologist who runs his own private practice. Alongside this, he is also a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. His main areas of expertise are mood disorders like major depression and bipolar disorder, anxiety disorders, and attention deficit disorder in adult patients. But before diving into the various mental illnesses, I thought I would kick off the second episode of the podcast on a more positive note by discussing the technologies and treatments underway to help treat these mental illnesses. Hello everyone, today we are joined by Dr. Smith. Could you tell us a little about yourself, what you do, where you're from? Yeah, thank you, Shashan. Thanks for having me on. I'm Dr. David Smith. Um, I'm a psychiatrist, and my area of specialty is called uh, uh, psychopharmacology, which it means that I'm a specialist in psychiatric medication. And I have a clinical practice in Palo Alto. And in addition, I'm an adjunct professor over at Stanford Medical School, where I teach about psychiatric illness and psychiatric treatment. Today, we're going to talk about the technology and medicinal treatment in general of mental illnesses in society today. I'm going to pose this question to Dr. Smith. What are some of, this is a really broad topic, and this, there could be a multitude of answers. What are some of the newest innovations in technology and medicinal treatment in recent years? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, I was trying to, you know, because uh, uh, I was anticipating this interview. <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit about, you know, how broad the subject is. And um, one of the ways I was thinking about it was um, that there's kind of, there's kind of like the cheap accessible end of the sp- mm-hmm. spectrum uh, of technology and then the expensive high tech, you know, um, you know, less accessible end of the spectrum. And so to start with kind of the, the kind of the less expensive, you know, more accessible end, you know, I, I think of things like, um, uh, well, uh, particularly over the pandemic, there's been a big um, increase in what's called telemedicine. You know, and again, that's not really a treatment technology, but being able to talk to your doctor or therapist, you know, on Zoom or, or, or you know, some some you know the phone or some other video um, application, um, has really in, in, um, in improved and increased the access to care in a way that you know was was unfortunately you know that's one of the things about mental health care is that. It tends to be pretty accessible in urban places. You know, in the Bay Area, there's lots of psychologists, there's lots of psychiatrists, um, and because psychologists and psychiatrists tend to stay where they train, and so they end up staying in big urban environments. And if you go anywhere outside of the Bay Area, um, you know, out down to the Central Valley or you know, Northern California, it's much much harder to find a psychiatrist or a therapist. And with telemedicine, that's it doesn't matter so much because you know you can your doctor, your therapist can be really anywhere mm-hmm. in, in California. So I, I've been very pleased with you know the the benefits of of telemedicine to expanding uh, care, um, uh, making care more accessible. And then uh, one other um, uh, thing I was thinking about, or, or uh, te- technological is, um, advancement that isn't really necessarily based from the pandemic because it was already happening beforehand, but is the way that smartphones, uh, particularly smartphone apps, have, um, have proliferated um, that are geared towards mental health. And of course, it's, I don't think an app is going to replace a, a doctor or a therapist, but there are things that I, I recommend a lot, like um, uh, uh, apps for um, uh, what's called uh, meditation or mindfulness meditation. That's that's a, 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 a well-studied um, type of, um, of, uh, of t- a technique to help people who are anxious, who have insomnia, mm-hmm. who are very stressed. Um, and you can do that on your own. You know, you don't necessarily even need to talk to a therapist because there's good apps that that will just kind of guide you through it. Um, so and, and they're not very expensive, and some of them are free. Um, and so that's kind of that that um, 
that uh, uh, less expensive, very accessible to anybody, almost anybody, <laughs> end of the spectrum. And then we go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. There is some very um, you know, interesting developments in kind of more high-tech treatments. Um, the one that's kind of, kind, of, uh, kind of emerged in, say, the past five to eight years is um, just to give you kind of an example of kind of the kind of how technology is uh, is is helping in psychiatry, is um, a treatment called transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a device that delivers a high potency focused magnetic stimulation um, to specific parts of the brain, and you can focus it in on the part of the brain that's underactive with depression, and it it, it helps a lot of people with depression. It's a now an FDA approved treatment for depression. Um, and it, it, the current generation of machine is about, seems to be about equally effective to medication for most kind of uncomplicated patients with depression. Um, but there's a lot of research, including over at Stanford, um, in kind of like next generation, higher potency machines that might help patients that don't get better with medication. There's a, lot, there's a subgroup of patients that don't get much relief from standard antidepressants. And it'd be very nice to have new treatments that work in different ways that would help them. So that's an example of, you know, it's a little bit more expensive, you know, you need a whole device, you need someone trained in it. So it's not necessarily as easy to access that treatment, although that'll change as time goes on. But it's very exciting to have kind of newer tech, you know, newer innovations and technology that open up new treatment options for common illnesses like depression. Yeah. So would you say TMS is similar in the way that ECT works or electroconvulsive therapy? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. So um, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, and I'll, I will just say it's um, that could be a whole interview in and of itself because that ECT has a long, long history. It's been around since the 1930s, and uh, it actually was before medication. That was the first kind of biological treatment for for um, depression um, way back in the 1930s. There weren't there weren't any antidepressants back then, and um, uh, ECT has a has a strong stigma behind it, unfortunately. So I just yeah. Wanna- I just say that it's, it's, it's quite a safe treatment um, and it's not scary, doesn't hurt. We don't do it as often uh, because of some side effects, particularly memory trouble. But it's, uh, 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 I just want to make, make, st- make a comment that it's still a modern treatment. We still, uh, the modern, excuse me, modern ECT is still here. <laughs> we still uh, recommend it for the right patient. Um, and it's not an old fashioned treatment, it's still around. But the, to answer your question, it gets into this category of treatments that are called neurostimulation, where you're, mm-hmm. one way or another, you're stimulating um, the brain, particularly you're trying to stimulate the part of the brain that's underactive with depression. And there's different ways to do that. So electrical stimulation, again, has been around since you know, 80, 80 plus years now, uh, yeah, I guess 90, almost 90 years, uh, goes back to the 1930s. And, um, uh, and if you, you know, of course you learn in physics that um, uh, electromagnetism, you know, they're basically the, the different sides of the same coin. You, know, you can, electrical stimulation and magnetic stimulation are, are very closely related to each other. And the advantage to the magnetic stimulation is that you can focus it in. With electrical stimulation, you're kind of exposing the entire brain to the electrical <laughs> stimulation, both the part of the brain where you want it but, but the part of the brain that you don't want it. So you end up getting side effects like memory trouble because the memory parts of the brain, you, know, you're not, you didn't really need to stimulate them, but you know, they, they got stimulated anyway because the electricity, you can't focus. But um, magnetic stimulation, you can focus very precisely. Um, so it's very closely related to electrical uh, ECT, electrical stimulation, but you don't, you don't have a seizure. That's one of the things with ECT, the patients have to actually have a seizure for it to work. Um, they don't have to have a motor seizure. They don't have to convulse but the brain has to have a seizure. 
Whereas with um, TMS, you, uh, a seizure is not necessary. The patient doesn't need anesthesia. They don't need to be sedated. It doesn't hurt. You know, they don't jerk around. It's a, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty easy treatment to do. Um, and so it's, uh, it's much easier on the patient. And it's not as the current generation of TMS treatment isn't as effective as ECT, but again, we're hoping that it will be as technology improves over time. So with TMS, you said it aims to treat depression, anxiety. So could you go more into depth about TMS and then treatment as a whole? Yeah. So, uh, so again, TMS. The idea of TMS was based on the you know the history with ECT that we know mm-hmm. ECT is um, uh, uh, it, was, it still is considered kind of the gold standard as far as the most effective treatment for depression. It's just that it has so many side effects um, or potential side effects that we we don't use it, and except for the most severe, difficult to treat patients, uh, difficult cases of depression. Um, and so there's always been this, you know, um, hope that, you know, we could, how could you do ECT or preserve the parts of ECT that are very effective, but um, reduce or eliminate the side effects. And, you know, then people thought of like, well, why don't, we, why don't we use magnetic stimulation rather than electrical stimulation? To focus the... To focus, yeah, to yeah. focus the stimulation specifically where you want it, which will reduce the side effects because you're not, you're not um, stimulating the part of the brain that doesn't need to be stimulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and what the, I guess the, the, the point to your listeners is, is that we do pretty, it's pretty well understood what part of the brain is, is, um, is affected with, with depression. It's part of the limbic system, which is, yeah. a, it's a complex part of the brain that does a bunch of things, but it, it involves with emotion regulation and the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain just behind the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is in the frontal lobes where just behind your forehead and just behind that pre means just before. So before the frontal lobes, um, kind of in between the limbic system and the frontal lobe is the prefrontal cortex. That part of the brain appears to be underactive with depression. And to try and stimulate um, neuronal activity and neuronal growth to actually get those neurons to grow um, and connect with each other, that's pretty much the um, fundamental goal of all treatment, whether it's with medication or neurostimulation treatments like TMS and ECT. And even psychotherapy has evidence of, of improving um, nerve generation, like actually improving connections in neurons in, in that part of the brain. It's just that we have different ways of doing that. You know, so mm-hmm. you can do it with stimulation techniques, you can do it with medication, you can do it with talk therapy. Um, and there's things other than professional treatments that, that have a similar effect, maybe a little milder, but a similar effect, like say like exercise. People who get um, regular aerobic exercise have um, also have nerve growth in that part of the brain, which can help which can help with the depression symptoms. Yeah, so you mentioned that the end goal of TMS, ECT, is to produce these neurons, the nerves, and the nerve endings. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but is the point of that to produce more dopamine to counteract the effect of depression? Uh, that's a good question. So um, it's it's a little bit more nuanced. So okay. um, the, the uh, so I'll give you the, I'll try and give you the one-minute version. <laughs> for you and your listeners. All right, so... Um, So when you think about antidepressants, all antidepressants work by increasing activity of neurotransmitters. Um, The main ones being for depression is particularly serotonin, um, Mm -hmm. but there's two others that are important as well, uh, norepinephrine and dopamine. And so these are chemicals that the nerve cells use to talk to each other. And um, um, there's problems with the communication between nerve cells when people have depression. Um, and a lot of it is actually physical, that the nerve cells physically actually withdraw from each other. They're, they're, le- they're further apart, which means they're going to have a harder time communicating with each other because the, the signal has to jump that gap, which is called the synapse between two nerve cells. 
And when you're increasing um, neurotransmitter activity with, say, antidepressants, you're helping amplify that communication between the two nerve cells so that they have an easier time communicating with each other, which helps them, which helps the circuit work better and helps with the symptoms. But the, the interesting thing about antidepressants is although they help with that you know, relatively quickly, it takes a few weeks to kick in, but they, they, most people will start feeling better after a few weeks on an antidepressant. It takes a few months um, for the nerve cells to actually start growing. It's called neurogenesis, um, uh, where the nerve cells, um, or neurotrophy, where the, where the endings of the nerve cells actually grow and reconnect. And, and that's, what, that's what we think is really the core um, target for treatments for depression is um, helping with neurotrophy or neurogenesis. It's not growing new nerve cells per se, it's, but it's growing, it's helping the nerve endings be um, um, uh, richer and, and, and more dense and more bushy and more well-connected with their neighbors. And there's just different ways of doing that. Antidepressants, you know, they increase neuro neurotransmitter activity, which we think creates a cascade effect that leads to um, neurotrophy. And then these neurostimulation treatments like ECT and, and TMS, they kind of bypass that. They're just going to go right to the nerve cells themselves and induce changes that uh, hopefully get them to grow and, and make new connections. And that those new connections, when they're healthy, you'll see an uptick in serotonin and dopamine release and norepinephrine release because the nerve cells are healthier and they're communicating better. But it's not that the TMS increases nor norepinephrine or dopamine or serotonin. Um, what, they're, what they're doing is they're directly stimulating the cells to, to, um, to fire um, by, you know, by using that with TMS, by using that um, magnetic stimulation. And, with, and, and by consequence, then provoke the cells to grow because the cell that fires and, and is active is more likely to want to grow and, and make more connections. Mm -hmm. Kind of regressing from the science topic. So you, you talked about how there's like some on the cheaper end of the spectrum and some more expensive. Mm -hmm. So if and when these treatments become more widespread, do you think that they will be made affordable for people who can't afford them? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like TMS, because um, it is FDA approved as a treatment. So the you know, Federal Food and Drug Administration is the government agency that, that um, any treatment, whether it's medication or um, a, you know, a device, a surgical device, or in this case, you know, a TMS machine, they have to, they have to um, uh, give data to the FDA that then decides whether the data shows that this treatment is effective compared to placebo and safe, uh, or be safe enough, you know, that the benefits outweigh the risks of the treatment um, for the for the indication, meaning like for the patients that would who would use the treatment for. And the reason I explain that is because um, if the FDA has approved it, then insurance companies are more likely to actually cover it. And most insurance companies do cover TMS now. It's, so it's it's uh, which is good. I mean, it, you know, you still depending on your insurance, you might have to pay some some out of pocket expense, but you don't have to pay the full fee. You know, if you, as long as you have insurance, um, and most insurances do pay for it. They even even like government insurance, like Medicare, uh, pays for TMS if if the person is a is the proper candidate for it. Um, and the main sticking point right now is that it you know is, is access that you know people you know the machines are mostly available either at academic centers like Stanford, or there are people in private practice that, um, you know, that have a clinic with TMS, that have uh, be able to provide TMS. But again, the, like I was uh, mentioning before, that these are things that unfortunately are very concentrated to urban environments. You, 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 know, you have to be in the Bay Area or Los Angeles, you know, or, or New York or Chicago, you know, some big city 
is going to have, you know, there's going to be a TMS provider, but you get outside of big cities and it just hasn't trickled out to, you know, less urban environments yet. And that's, yeah. that's a function of, you know, the, the you know, training, you know, there, there, there needs to be people out there who are interested in getting trained for it and then to be able to have the machine, you know, get, you know, get the machine available in the mm -hmm. clinics so people can start uh, using it. So I think you mentioned that for now, ECT remains more effective than TMS. Is that correct? correct? So how do both of those compare to other antidepressants like SSRI? Yeah, yeah. so that's a good question. So um, T current generation of TMS is about equal to um, antidepressants, including the mm -hmm. standard SSRI antidepressants. And depending on which study you're looking at you know, and what, what type of depression, um, that's around 60, 65% of patients with kind of um, um, first onset um, um, moderate depression uh, or moderate to severe depression will respond to antidepressants or TMS. Whereas with ECT, the response rate for that kind of depression is closer to 90%, which is you know, very high. Mm -hmm. It's just that most patients with that first onset, um, they, they, you're not going to choose to do ECT because you know, a lot of patients are going to do just fine with a more you know, mm -hmm. less intense treatment. Um, so you're, you're going to start with one of the less intense treatments than something like ECT. Um, there's a there's a subcategory of depression called treatment refractory depression. Refractory means something that's not improving, that's you know, stubborn. Um, and so treatment refractory depression means that someone has already tried several treatments. They've tried two or three antidepressants, usually more than one you know, antidepressant in different classes. They may have also tried other treatments and kind of um, other than antidepressants. Maybe they've already tried TMS. And in patients who have treatment refractory depression, then um, uh, the response rate, you, know, you still are going to try and treat them, but you know, adding another, you know, trying another antidepressant, the response rate starts to get much less. Um, the, the response rate, you know, is like 20%, you know, 25% rather than that, you know, 60 to 70% response rate. And that's still where you see um, a, a big benefit to electroconvulsive therapy, even for people who have tried eight or 10 antidepressants, you know, very, you know, very, they haven't responded at all to antidepressants. It's not 90%, but it's, it's still over 50% of patients um, in that category who try ECT will get um, some significant relief. Um, and TMS is not at that level. TMS is more, uh, more in line with antidepressants at this point. But we're, you know, we're excited about um, you know, new generation, you know, kind of next generation machines that are higher intensity or higher frequency machines that might be able to bridge that gap that get mm -hmm. close to the ECT level of effectiveness. Yeah, kind of relating to that, what do you anticipate the long-term effect of these treatments will be, maybe in from like 10 to 20 years from now? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think, I hope that TMS is more widely available, um, yeah. particularly, you know, and, and that the machine is, you know, the next generation of machines are more effective. Um, you know, I think you'll see a balance at that point of, you know, like some patients will, you know, use medication, some patients will use TMS, maybe even before medication, because it'll be much easier to access it. Right now, the, the vast majority of people who do TMS have already tried medication, yeah. um, just because it's harder to find people that do TMS, and so most, it's much easier to find help with medication. So people usually do medication first, and then TMS if medications don't work. And I think that that balance will probably change, that it'll be easier just to go do TMS, and, and, uh, and, and instead of, if someone doesn't want to try medication, they could just do that instead. And hopefully that, you know, the next generation machines will be out and um, you know, that'll, that'll be nice to have or be more effective, you know, kind of faster, uh, faster treatment. Um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see whether, 
you know, that translates into anything that's more consumer available, meaning like someone could just treat themselves, you know, you wouldn't necessarily even need to go to a doctor's office. I mean, that's, that's something I've thought about. I don't know if uh, it's just my own thinking that that would be kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, the reason you don't see like antidepressants like available over the counter is because they're, they're not, they're, you know, they're not that hard to use, if, but there's enough potential problem with side effects or overdose or interactions that you just, you know, you, you need to have somebody who's well-trained prescribe them as opposed to just like say going to get like you know Tylenol or, or Motrin where you can you know you can just go get that yourself, and you know I wonder if you know maybe down the road I don't think ten years but maybe twenty or thirty years down the road that, that that might be something you could just go buy the machine and have it at home you know and that people will be able to give themselves their own you know magnetic stimulation with some yeah, device totally that, yeah, that'd be consumer friendly that'd be um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen but that you know. Maybe it's science fiction, but maybe 20 or 30 years from now, you know, you could treat your own depression. You know? Adding on to that, like, so do you think these new technologies will affect the role of healthcare workers in and outside the hospital negatively or positively? Oh, I hope positively. I mean, you know, the, 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 the better the treatment, the better it is for, you know, for everybody, including yeah. providers, you know. Uh, I'm always, you know, I, I tell patients, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know I, 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 one of the reasons I do my job is because I really like to meet people and I like to help people. And, you know, so I'm doing both. I'm meeting a lot of people and hopefully <laughs> most of my patients get better and, you know, so I'm helping people. But I tell patients, you know, one of the things, you know, that I always look, you know, that I'm very happy with is when you graduate, you know, if you've done well and you don't need treatment anymore and you're able to, you know, move on um, and, you know, you graduate from, from treatment, that's terrific, you know, and it just means that, you know, that it, there's more space for somebody else um, who is waiting, you know. And so if treatments get better and more accessible, you know, then we have more time to help the people that are the subset of more complicated patients. And, you know, the patients that, you know, have more you know, straightforward or easier to treat symptoms, you know, they can, be, they can be treated easier and they don't need as quite as high level of care as they do now, which means that um, in, in my field in mental health, we'll have more time to spend with the more complicated mm -hmm. uh, cases that, yeah. that need more help. Totally. You mentioned there is a stigma surrounding ECT because of the potential side effects with memory and whatnot. Um, so for a person that like maybe would want to avoid these more expensive treatments because of the stigma or whatnot, yeah. um, they can, you've mentioned that there are apps on your smartphone that you can do at home to maybe feel better about yourself, be more positive. So I think that's a great way that someone, even if they can't afford these treatments, they can still try to help themselves in the best way possible. Yeah, at least at least to get started. You yeah. Know? And um, you know, these are things that I think are helpful for everybody. You know, um, uh, the, so the, the the technical term for like the um, for the uh, meditation type thing is called mindfulness-based stress reduction. MBSR is the mm -hmm. is the type of meditation that's been well studied. Um, there's actually you know, uh, uh, academic studies about MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction. And um, that they help just about anybody. You don't have to have like a diagnosis of depression or anxiety. People tend to sleep better. Their blood pressure tends to be better. They tend to be less anxious. You know, people, we all have stress. You know, if you're a student, you've got some stress. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're, a, if you're a parent, you've got some stress. You know, if you've got a job, you've got some stress sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, um, and helping people better handle stress is one of the one of the most important things for um, reducing the risk of actual, di you know, actual illness, you know, reducing yeah. risk of 
anxiety disorders and depression is helping people better manage stress. And a lot of it is lifestyle, you know, like helping people exercise, you know, knowing the value of exercise, uh, knowing the value of good nutrition, getting enough sleep, not sleep depriving themselves. Um, so that's just kind of lifestyle stuff. And then um, you know, some of these apps that focus in on stress reduction, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, everybody could benefit from that. You don't have to be a patient to, um, to benefit from those kinds of, uh, those kinds of, uh, those kinds of help. So now that we've reached the end of the episode, um, I always ask something about how you, maybe we can combat the stigma surrounding these treatments, medicinal treatments too. Um, because right now, you, as you said, there is stigma surrounding the ECT because people are yeah. scared of doing it. Yeah, well, the, the, I think the stigma, just a quick comment, is the, the stigma with ECT goes, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I think um, really stems from um, a combination of media portrayal. Yeah. There's a, a very famous movie that's old now called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, that shows ECT being done in a very barbaric you know, way with no, mm. with no anesthesia and basically in a punitive way. Like they, were just, they were angry at this patient, so they decided to do um, oh. a shock therapy with him. And it was, you know, that's completely unethical and you know, not you know, not something that you know is anything like what you know ECT should or is done, and so but people still even people who've never seen that movie you know have that image in their head of like someone being strapped down and held down and with like the thing on their head. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. It, it, it makes it makes it makes it seem like torture. Okay, and that's not at all what it, what what actual ECT is like. So that's that's a that's kind of a um, unfortunate case of you know kind of the media, mm-hmm. um, you know, making people you know for generations afraid of ECT. Like whenever I bring it up with a patient, you know, they all, you know I always have to explain right away that it's not like that movie because that's what people think. You know, if they don't know, that's what they think it, it's like. Um, so that that's unfortunately very specific to ECT. Um, makes people very scared of it. Um, and, and and as I said, it's not like that at all. Um, but treatment in general, um, my, my, my feedback would be that these are all tools, okay? Um, TMS, antidepressants, ECT, they're tools. And um, just like a tool, you know, like if you have, you know, your garage and you've got a bunch of tools in your garage, you know, if you're doing a project, you want to get the right tool for the project. You know, a certain tool may not be necessary for this project, but the right tool, you know, you use it. And then when you don't need it anymore, you put it away. And that's, um, that's the way I like to think about um, uh, psychiatric treatment. You know, if you've got a problem where this is uh, going to be a helpful tool to help help improve that problem, then you know that's that's there's no shame in in exa- getting access to it. And when you don't need it anymore, we'll you know we'll put it back in the tool box. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's my that's my metaphor <laughs> that I try to reduce mm-hmm. that help people reduce the stigma around psychiatric treatment. Yeah, kind of giving my own thoughts on this. I think that like the media plays a large role in um, in encouraging the stigma. So I think a big part of it is like educating the public that a lot of what we see on the media isn't true. Yeah, or or you know it's distorted or you know, it's, there's you know it's a show. You know, if it's a fictional yeah. show, they're going to amplify or distort something for the sake of what they're trying to say in the show. Yeah, but that you know it gives unfortunately can give people the wrong impression about mm-hmm. what actually you know psych- psychiatry and psychology are like. Yeah, that's about all I have for you today, Dr. Smith. I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast and speaking to me about this. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. It's it's been my pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out the link in the description to the Mind Maladies website. See you guys in the next episode.